thing hiding in the hiding in the
to gather, Lord, and worship you. I pray and ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to uh, have our hearts open, our minds, and be attentive to your word. Help us, Lord, to learn something, Lord, today from, again, you preaching, Lord, uh, the word. Pray that you would bless every aspect of the service, the needs that are here, and those that were mentioned, Lord, this morning in our prayer list. We pray, God, that you would uh, Help those people uh, in need, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's sing, uh, He Hideth My Soul, 258. <laughs>
is one common verse. so nice to hear that um let's see renee you're leaving tomorrow it's been good to see you again and wish your husband would have come with you but that's okay say hello to him for us and let's see uh, uh david broom is here um uh, chris's mom from jacksonville florida so how many days you be here chris uh debbie a couple weeks couple weeks kind of short isn't it <laughs> so we're happy that she's here visiting and um we're happy to see uh, JR back in church. He's been on a 10-week thing. His work takes him on a cruise ship in our island. He's on the ship 10 weeks and then off the ship 10 weeks. So he gets to relax a little bit. So we're happy to see him back in church. And then Frank gets back uh, sometime today, hopefully by by the airplane. He said it's real cold in Chicago. And uh, I told him this, you are a wimp. It's only 10 degrees. What's wrong with that? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, birthdays read the bulletin and uh, in the bulletin there's a really good statement by Charles Spurgeon it's a devotion from the 16th of January uh, morning and evening is the devotion that it was pulled from so also that website for you to get to that on your own is in there so anything you read by Spurgeon is really good very good devotional stuff um, not everything like with anything you don't agree with everything 100% but it's pretty good stuff it'll encourage your heart when you read his uh, devotional books I do recommend one of the resources that he has. It's called John Plowman. John Plowman is about common sense, good sense uh, for the common man of his time, also good sense for us today. And so anything by expression, especially John Plowman, John Plowman is good for you to have. So make the effort to grow your faith uh, personally each day by uh, having some initiative. And don't depend on church to feed you all the time. Like you don't want to get spoon fed all the time. You want to get some, you know, on your own. So do that, all right? Check it out. Now I need to know if you're alive this morning. Okay. What? What is that? Never heard that before. I heard of. I heard of. I heard Ura. Uh, I've heard. Uh, what's What's the army say? Uya. 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 That's the retired chant. Hey, oh, it's the retired guy. Amen. <laughs> Just say amen. Amen is better. All right. You guys know something for us? Okay, I'll make a move here. Stand by me. Stand by me. 
this song a long time ago. That tells you how old I am. But I uh, couldn't find the... I heard it on tape, you know, but finally able to get the music to it and work on it a little bit. It's a song written by Charles Albert Tindley. He was a African-American Methodist preacher, but pretty much well known for his song composing. There's a lot of hymns in our hymnals are written, composed by him. Uh, leave it there, leave it there, you know, that's you know, hymnal, uh, nothing between my soul and my savior, that's by him. Uh, we'll understand it better by and by. Uh, and one of the songs, believe it or not, uh, became popular in the 60s by the black movement. They used it as a theme of their anthem, We Shall Overcome, <coughs> as written by Mr. Tindley. And uh, I'm sure that was not the intention of the song. It's, you know, the song is based on uh, by, uh, scriptures about us being overcomers. Uh, but anyways, that's how it is. And so he wrote this song, and it's a song that's probably have uh, two applications. One is a prayer, it's a plea uh, for the Lord to stand by you. Uh, but I believe uh, I'm going to do it with the with the second uh, uh, reason for the song is 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 an uh, is is a confirmation of the of the of the promise that God gave us that He will stand by us in in all situations. Okay. I'm not going to sing it like an evil spiritual because. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the Um 
persecution stand by me when my force of battle array undertake to stop my way thou who save it all and silence stand by me gesture or a little bit of grunting to let me know that you are glad to be in church. Did you know that the church is supposed to be a warm place, a warm refuge from the cold, dark world? And part of it is because the people who come here are warm and they're not cold. Now, I'm not trying to impose upon you anybody's personality, uh, but uh, you, should, you should be happy that you're in God's house with God's people. And sometimes you just, we, we come in uh, being ourselves, which is not a problem because we all do that. I just like to encourage you to be a blessing to somebody while you're in church. It's supposed to be a warm place where you enjoy being there, uh, being, being in church, and that you want to be a blessing to somebody else. So occupy your seat, uh, change, do something dangerous, change seats sometimes. Okay. And uh, be a blessing. Uh, I try to be a blessing to you. Be a blessing to me today by, by um, at least, at least, uh, or, <laughs> or, huh? At least I'll know that there's activity up here, okay? I'm just making a lot about that, but I do want you to enjoy the blessing of the service today by God's Word. And so the personality is not the issue. It's the Word of God that's always the issue. And I hope to bring a simple message today, but yet truthful, of course. Uh, there's a man named Matt Walsh that is our contemporary. He's a younger guy, maybe not even 40, but he is one of those voices that has risen up in the last six or seven years, among others, in his organization. And he made a name for himself. I don't think he did it to do this, uh, to be well-known, but because of his simple question, the question circulated around the world, especially in interviews, man on the street kind of a thing. And the simple question was, what is a woman? What is a woman? The odd, bizarre truth is to even pose that question is an indication of how far gone our society and our culture has fallen. To wonder what is a woman? Because we've been blurring so many things in our society and culture, it's almost laughable to even ask the question, what is a woman? And the intent was to ask people on the street, 
Can you tell me what a woman is? And anybody with common sense can tell you, yeah, a woman is, a man is. Very simple. Well, taking that question, what is a woman? I asked the question today, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? As people would say, a woman is A, B, C, D, and multiple kinds of answers, there's multiple kinds of answers for what is a Christian? A Christian, what is a Christian? A dictionary definition is very generic. A person professing belief in Jesus as the Christ or in the religion based on the teachings of Jesus. That is the generic definition of what is a Christian. It's in the right direction, but not quite close enough. A 2021 Pew National Publica Publication, uh, Public Opinion Reference Survey said, 63% of people consider themselves to be Christian. That's a good percentage. That's a majority. 63% people think they are Christians. But when you ask them what is a Christian, it's kind of hard for them to define what is a Christian. Most people think a Christian is someone who goes to church, someone who prays, someone who gives some donations, offerings to a church or an organization, someone who is good, someone who is kind, someone who is honest, and so on. That's how most people define what is a Christian. They're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, they're not Muslim, they're Christian. And under the umbrella of Christian can be all kinds of different groups of people. It could be Catholics. A lot of Catholics today call themselves Christians. It could be anything Protestant. A lot of Protestants, anyone who's non-Catholic, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, whatever, they all consider themselves to be under the umbrella of Christian. So there's a range of what people define Christian to be. What should we do? Continue in a state of confusion? Continue in a state of, I'm not sure, in Hawaii, we have a bad habit. We do things that are not really good. And I are one of them. We have different ways of looking at things. We're not committed. We are non-committal. We say, I don't know. We say, whatever. Uh, we just don't want to say yes or no, right or wrong. We don't do that because we are in Hawaii and we, we Hawaiians are very tolerant, we say. And so under the name of tolerance, we have all kinds of shades of different definitions of a word like, what is a Christian? Can you tell me what is a Christian? Do you know what is a Christian? Do you know how to become a Christian? What is a Christian? A far more important question than, what is a woman? Well, in the book of Acts, there are two references to the word Christian. And Peter has one word, one verse has Christian. So just three New Testament references in the New Testament, just three that has the word Christian in it. You would think there'd be hundreds of words with uh, hundreds of references, Bible verses with the word Christian, but no, it's only three. Just three. Just three. Very unusual. Now, there are no verses in the Old Testament referring to a Christian. Because there are no Christians in the Old Testament. Now that might shock you, but being a Christian is something of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have people who believed in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there were no, quote, Christians, because no one in the Old Testament was born again. Right. In the New Testament, people are born again. In the New Testament. So there's a big difference there, doctrinally. But what is a Christian? 
Well, I'll tell you what a Christian is. Number one. What is a Christian? Number one. A Christian is someone who is saved. A Christian is someone who is saved. This is very elementary, but because we have the world in general, Americans in general, have bypassed and not going back to foundational truth, they have not stuck to the rudiments of the Christian faith, they have lost touch, lost track of definition of words. And definition of words are very, very critical overall when it comes to what is a Christian, we must be real sure about what is a Christian. Because eternity hinges upon if you are a Christian or not. Number one, a Christian is someone who is saved. Someone who is saved. Now turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Toward the end of this long book, which covers the first 30 years of the New Testament church's history, written by Dr. Luke. Acts chapter 26 and verse number 28. Now the man in question here is King Agrippa. King Agrippa is grilling, quizzing, questioning the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was once grilled by a man named Festus. Festus, to his credit, was an honest Roman official. In chapter 25, the Jews who hated Paul's guts because he preached about the resurrection, and the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the one who rose from the dead, he was not the Messiah, they got after his case, they wanted to kill him because they disagreed with him. Imagine that, religious people who wants to kill someone else because they disagree with that person. Imagine that. Does that happen even today? Oh, yes, it does. But in chapter 25, here's what it says about this fair-minded, honest politician. He, this politician in Festus, is forwarding Paul to Agrippa. To whom I answered, Felix uh, Festus is speaking, it is not the man of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he which is accused have the accusers face to face. Have you ever heard about you have the right to face your accuser? Here's a Roman official, a governor, who is honest and fair. The Jews wants to, they want to string Paul up. He says, wait a minute, you can't do that. You bring this charge against, against Paul to me? You want me to string him up just because you don't like him? I can't do that. I can't do that. Before that which is accused, have the accusers face to face and have, a, have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither, without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. And so he hears out Paul and he hears the accusation. He says, you know, I'm gonna send you to, I'm gonna send you to um, Agrippa. And so now Paul's before Agrippa in chapter 26 and uh, Paul testifies, come to chapter 26 and come to verse number 20. Uh, let's see. It's 27. King Agrippa. Paul is now testifying before the king. King Agrippa. King Agrippa. Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 
And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all those that hear me this day, which both were both almost and all good such as I except these bonds. Now, here's, a, here's what's going on. Agrippa hears Paul about the accusation of the Jews. Sedition. Usurping the government authority. All untrue. Deserving of death. All untrue. He was not guilty. And he hears Paul tell about how he came to Christ. The conversion on Acts chapter 9 that Damascus wrote. He hears how he was once a religious uh, Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, how he had, through all of his raising, his pedigree, everything, he, he's a great man religiously, a good man. And he says, but all these things were to me, and here's the word that he uses, I write on the board. <laughs> that comes to the book of Philippians. As Paul wrote about his conversion, He's telling, in essence, the same thing to Agrippa. He says, all these things that I achieved in my life, I am such a man of high status. I am honored by everyone who knows me in the religious world. I am top dog. He says, but all these things, they're but dung when it comes to righteousness. When, when the Lord saved me, I got saved not by my meriting salvation, by my good works. He says, it's by Christ saved me by his grace. And he's telling this to Agrippa. And Agrippa concludes. And, and Paul also says, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. And so Agrippa, a king who demands obedience to laws, appreciates Paul saying, God came to me. What could I do but obey what God told me? It, it kind of connects him to Agrippa, law-abiding, authority, uh, submission, obedience, and he concludes as, as he gives his testimony, you're not guilty of any crime worthy of death. And so he says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. That's one of the three times in the New Testament the word Christian is found. The other one we'll see in Acts chapter 11 and then the one in First Peter. But here he says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul says, I wish you were a Christian except my chains, except my bonds, except my handcuffs. I wish you were like me except for this. He's saying, he's saying to Agrippa, I wish you were saved. So Christian and saved is synonymous. All right? I wish you were saved. I wish you were a Christian. So the word Christian, first of all, is someone who is saved. All right? You cannot be a Christian and not be saved. It is not, it is not possible. Saved is a Christian. Christian is saved. Now, in the Bible, you have the word saved many times in both Testaments, and saved is a real good word. Uh, for example, you have the word saved as in uh, saved from physical harm. It's a physical deliverance. Let me read the verse to you. In Acts 27, 20, when, there, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Shipwreck. Shipwreck. And Paul had predicted that before they took off from land, before they set sail. He said, no, no, you guys, this is going to be a bad trip. Don't go. And the captain says, what do you know? You sailor, you were captain of the ship. No. <laughs> what do you know? It's like saying today, uh, can I talk to the captain? Why? 
I've got this bad feeling this plane's gonna crash the Pacific Ocean from here to California. It's gonna crash midway through. I know it's gonna, I just know it. How do you know that? Because God told me. Can you imagine telling a captain of the airplane like that? Can you imagine what they would think about you? Cuckoo, 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 wacko. He's on something. He's on something. The captain say, look, I'm a captain. I know how to fly. I got 20,000 hours behind me. I know what I'm doing. So he's not listening like he didn't listen to Paul here in this account about the ship getting into a big storm. But Paul's right because God gave him supernatural insight about what's going to happen. Be careful about that too, by the way. And so um, uh, today, if you said that, you'd be called crazy. And maybe it is true. You are crazy. All right. But um, uh, he said, uh, no one will die. We'll all be saved from what? Physical death. Now, that's one way of looking at the word saved. Context defines the word saved. Save us from this untoward generation, Acts chapter 2. Well, that's saving us from the corruption of this world, being delivered from it. That's a way of defining saved by the context. Then you also have the word saved using a spiritual sense, in the biblical salvation sense. Let me give you some verses here. 1 Timothy 2.4. Write these down, please. 1 Timothy 2.4. Acts 16, 30 and 31. John 10, 9. Just write this down, please. Now, let me read to you these three verses. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says this. The word is saved here. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth? So in this context of 1 Timothy 2, 4, saved is not physical deliverance. It is a spiritual deliverance. It's spiritual salvation. Who will have all men to be saved? God wants all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, which means to say some people are in error when it comes to personal salvation. They don't know the truth about being saved by faith through God's grace. They're trusting other things. Acts 16 is the famous chapter of the Philippian jailer. Let me read the verses to you, verse number 30 and 31. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Not from physical deliverance, not from physical harm, to be saved spiritually. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Spiritual salvation. Context defines what the meaning of a word is. This is about spiritual salvation, about being forgiven of sins. John 10, 9, a great verse. John 10, 9, a great verse. Jesus said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Okay, so saved here in the context is a spiritual transaction. It's about being born again. It's about being saved from going to hell. Saved to go to heaven. Die. Saved. One more verse. Acts 4.12. Actually, two more verses. Actually, three more. Uh, Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, important things to say and to, to emphasize in verse 12. There's no salvation in any other. No other man can save you. No other name can save you. Well, Jesus, I'll just call you as whatever I want to call him. No, no, no. He has a specific name to call on to be saved. For there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we emphasize must be saved. So Jesus, Paul, uh, Luke is saying here in this chapter, in the scripture, you must be saved. 
It's by only one person. You must be saved. Must. Don't you like the word must? Must. You must be saved. Most people don't like to be told what to do. Am I in, a, am I in the same canoe as you are? You like to be told what to do? <coughs> Most people don't like to be told what to do. You must get up to go to school. Well, if you're an adult, you grew up as a kid, you went to school, did you really like to get up going to school? You must go to bed tonight, Sunday night, early, because tomorrow you must get up to go to school. Who likes to be told you must go to bed? What normal kid likes to go to bed? We can watch YouTube NFL highlights over and over again if you're team one. You must go to sleep. You must, and then when you, go, you must get up. Who wants to get up when it's raining? Who wants to get up when it's 59 degrees? Who wants to get up? But you must get up because you got to drive to work. The word must is a, you must do it. You got to do it or else. There's an or else to this. So he says, whereby we must be saved. You must be saved is what he's saying here. A man, a woman born into this world is born as a sinner. And eventually he could live to be a hundred, which would be a great thing. But if you live to be a hundred and you have not been saved, what's the alternative if you were not saved? He says, you must be saved. Why the imperative? Why the necessity to say you must be? Why the demand you must be saved? Because the cost of not being saved is an internal place called hell. And who wants to go there? Nobody wants to go there. God doesn't want to send anybody there. Right. A man goes to hell. He goes to hell as an unwanted resident. Not a guest. An unwanted resident. He goes to hell because he has denied what God has required to be saved by faith and he has chosen to be saved his own way and God says there's no other name not even your own name you must come through Christ you must be saved understand you must be saved if you hope to go to heaven and if you get saved you don't have just a I hope I hope I hope you have a living real hope that you will go to heaven one day that's the context of the word saved. A Christian is someone who is saved. One more verse, please. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. These are verses you should know if you've been saved more than two years. Ephesians 2, 9, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How can I explain? How can I... Now, how many times has a Christian ever said this to someone who needs to be saved? How many times have I preached about how to be saved from this pulpit over the years? I don't know how many times. It's almost like, why say it again when people know that scripture? We say it over and over again because people don't always know that scripture. One time a famous preacher, he wasn't Spurgeon. But another man of the 19th century kept preaching about you must be born again. He preached it so many times in a 52-week period of one year, he must have preached it 30 times. Somebody asked him, Pastor, every time we come to church, all we hear about is you must be born again. Why do you keep doing that? He said, because you must be born again. 
In other words, people always think funny ideas about what Jesus said, and so they add on to different, uh, add on different things to make them feel like they're okay with God. But he says you must be born again, and it's not by works; it's by not by yourself; it's by faith. Very simple. One last verse. One last verse. John three, John three verse seventeen. Saved. A man who is a Christian is someone who is saved. John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All right. There's that good word, saved. Saved is a good word. Saved is a great word. Saved is a Bible word. A Christian is somebody who is saved. It's a great word. It indicates your relationship to God through Christ. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. My sins are forgiven, all of them. I'm saved, heaven awaits me because I am a Christian, I'm saved. It's synonymous. You know how good the word saved is? Here's how good the word saved is. Uh, I can't draw this right, but um, let's see. Okay, this is a, a headlamp, headlamp. All right, it's a headlamp. This man is a miner. He's working in West Virginia. Real story. Details have escaped me. It's a real story. Miners going down on the track into a little cart, go down, down. I don't know how far down they go. They're digging every day. They're mining. They come out in the, the day. What a job. What a job. Measure the dust your lungs. What an occupation. What a trade. Goes down. The, the fear is always, of course, of a, a cave-in. And uh, these things do happen. You, you do everything possible to support, build things up so you don't have that happen, but accidents do happen in life. And there was an accident, and the men are trapped below. They are running out of oxygen, and apparently they will not be rescued. After hours of being down there with air running out, apparently they will not be rescued. When they finally dug down and found the dead men, there was one man, they found his helmet strapped to him and he had written these words in chalk. He got a piece of chalk. He wrote down this word. That's what he wrote down. He wrote on his helmet, I died saved. He was telling everyone who would find him, I'm gone, but I'm not gone. My body's here, but my soul went to be with Christ. I died saved. Saved's a good word. Saved's a good one. When you die, can you say, I died saved? When you leave this world, when you're about to leave this world, you know what really matters to you? It's not about the things you have acquired in this lifetime. It's not about how popular you were. It's not about your status in life. It's not about money. It's not about things. It's going to be about, am I going to be with Christ when I die? I died saved. Saved is a good word. A Christian is someone who is saved. Now, uh, you cannot separate the two, but at the same time, turn to Acts chapter 11. <coughs> I've just defined the word Christian by saying that a Christian, first of all, is someone who is saved. But there's something else about what is a Christian. Acts chapter 11. 
verse number 26, 1126. 1126. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, do you know why they were called Christians in Antioch? Is that 1126? Yes, at the end there. So Barnabas, who is a good man, goes up from Jerusalem to check out these people who has been rumored to be Christ followers, disciples of Christ. They're not sure in Jerusalem, so they send him up there to check it out, to give a first-time report. He goes up there. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, the second time you find the word Christian of three references in the Bible is here in Acts <laughs> chapter 11, where they're called Christians in Antioch. Now, they were called Christians not by other Christians. They were called Christians by the town of Antioch, by the people, the population in, in Antioch. They were noticing how they lived, and they were given that designation almost like in a derogatory way. Ah, you people, you act like Christ. Ah, you people, you, 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 what do you think you are? You think you're a little Jesus? You're a little Christ? So it's a derogatory context to all of this. But they were called Christians, and in a funny, strange, roundabout way, it was a compliment. Because these same people were called Christians. <coughs> Little Christ, Christ ones, Christ followers belonging to Christ. Well, what made them think that they belonged to Christ? Now think this through with me. What made the people think that they belonged to Christ? Because they said so? You know how people are, and you don't blame people for this. People, when they hear things, they want to be sure that it is true. When you see a commercial online or you see something, and it's almost too good to be true. Now, you know what's really popular now? It's Timu, T-E-M-U. You ever see the Timu commercials online? T-E-M-U, it's a China outfit. You can't trust the Chinese. <laughs> you cannot trust the Chinese people. Leather shoes, leather boots, $2.99. Are you joking me? You cannot buy a shoelace for $2.99 that's real leather, let alone a pair of shoes. All this... Fancy devices, Timo, some people we know, they hooked up, they got, they downloaded the app, they can't get it off. It's just crazy. Can't trust Chinese people. And so um, these, these people, you don't just say you're a Christian, people check it out, they want to see if you're the real thing. Most people don't want to be deceived. Most people don't want to be let down. Really, stop and think about what I'm telling you. Most people don't want to be let down. Most people don't want to be made a fool of. If you're going to believe something, you're going to buy something, you're going to be sure it's legitimate. I, I finally got me a pair of walking shoes. Oh, brother. Six pair, ordered online back again until finally the sixth one came. Or five pair. I tried it out in the house. Had to get double E. What does they have? I wear it outside. Think I'm going to keep it. Then it hurts my foot. Bring it back. I tell her I'm going to return it. Oh, why? Well, I was convinced it was the right shoe for me. And then finally, it turns out, as of yesterday, I'm going to keep the shoe. But I, I'm a skeptical person. I, I don't want to buy something that's costing money unless I'm sure it's going to be good for me. People don't want to say, oh, yeah, he's a Christian because he said so. You know what they're going to do? They're going to check you out. 
They're going to put you on mental probation and see if you're the real thing. Because if they're going to say, yeah, he's a Christian, the other one that come back, yeah, that guy stole from the company. What? Oh, she's a Christian. What did she do? You're kidding me. I told my neighbors, this guy's a... You don't want that to happen, so you're cautious. It's not because they said they're Christians that the people said they're Christian. It's because something about these crazy people caused the neighborhood to say, these people are identified with Christ. Well, these people, you look at them, you listen to them, you watch them, it's as if Christ is living here now. But I know he's not. So it's a testimony against them. They don't like what they're doing as Christian good people, but they have to admit, they remind me of Jesus Christ. So they're Christians because they acted like Christians. Duh. Revelation, bing. Something hit me on the side of the head. Oh, a truth. These guys are called Christians because they acted like Christians. How about that? <sighs> Come to 1 John chapter 2. Here's a good verse for you to connect. 1 John chapter 2. What is a Christian is the question. Well, a Christian, the answer is number one, that Christian is saved. You, if, you're not, if you're not saved, you're not a Christian. But a saved man is not always a Christian. Uh, let me explain. 1 John 2, verse number 6. Back up to verse 5. Let me know if you found it, please. Amen. Verse 5 says, But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Oh, so I know that you are a Christian because you're keeping his word. Verse 6. He that saith, he abideth in him. I'm a Christian. Ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Verse 6 is very important. Walk as he walked. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is some saved person who is deliberately trying to live, walk as Jesus walked. They're trying to mimic what Christ would have done if he was here. They're copying his pattern. They're walking in his footsteps. They're trying to be as much as possible like Christ in their living. Uh, these people, they're Christians. The people of Antioch, ah, these people are Christians. Don't like that. They're too honest. Well, the testimony is they were living like Christians. Now, uh, let me ask this question. Uh, the word Christian apparently has lost its significance nowadays, especially in America, where everyone's a Christian. Did you know that America is supposed to be a Christian nation? Why do they say that? Why do we say that? Oh, it's probably because when the pilgrims or the colonists came to America, they had a very strong Christian background. They believed the Bible and they wanted to perpetuate their faith in their children and in their grandchildren and so on. And as they established the colonists, they wanted to evangelize the Native Americans we call Indians. And they wanted to have kids and grandkids and down the line to perpetuate what they taught that first generation and the second generation. But is America a Christian nation? I don't want to digress here, but I'll tell you something. A lot of things that go on in this country that makes you think it is not a Christian nation. Who won the national championship for college this year? What school? 
Who knows? Okay. Who is the coach? Now, there's a man who knows about football. <clears throat> you know what Jim Harbaugh did a few days ago in Washington, D.C.? Oh, he did a bad thing. He did a bad thing. He went to the National Right to Life, and Jim Harbaugh, the March for Life, which is anti-abortion, sanctity of life, he even gave a speech. Horrors! Quote, let that, he says this to his players. He said it for years. Now, take it for what it's worth. Would you agree that what this coach said, I'm going to talk to you, is good? I'm going to read it to you. Quote, said to his players, let that unborn child be born. He says, if you players ever, if you players ever, get a girl pregnant by accident and you don't want that child, he says, give it to me. We will raise it. Listen to this. Let that unborn child be born. And if it, at that time you don't feel like you can take care of it, you don't have, to, you don't have the means or the withal to raise the child, then Sarah, his wife, and I will take that baby. You know what he's saying to them, these players? He says, I know you guys... Are young and all that kind of thing and all that whatever but he says if you ever he said look don't abort the baby give it to us we'll raise the baby now that makes him a decent man that makes him a good man that makes him a man who cherishes life okay now you know what somebody says about that now the point about that statement is not to talk anything about him personally jim harbaugh but to say the response to that quote on x on, you know what X is? Formerly called... Yeah, okay. Here's the response to what he said and what he did. He says, God, I hate this dude. Mission did not deserve to win. It's all about not liking his stance on anti-abortion. This is not a Christian nation, ladies and gentlemen. That's anecdotal, but that's indicative of how people think about life. Now, I will thank God that this man, at least with his stature, will stand up for the really innocent child in the mother's womb. Two congressmen in California. Can any good thing come out of California? Ted Leo. Ted Leo, who happens to have slanted eyes. Shame on him. Democrat, California and Adam Schiffless, Democrat from California, introduced a real critical life-saving law. Listen to this, how much they care about life. It will save millions of American lives, American rats, that is, R-A-T-S. This bill they passed, or they're sponsoring together, will save millions of rats' lives. The Glue Trap Prohibition Act. Let me say that again. The Glue Trap Prohibition Act is a bill that bans the use of glue traps to catch rodents. There are numerous other ways to trap small animals that don't prolong their suffering. Oh. Glue traps are among the cruelest ways to eliminate rodents. They're so inhumane. Can't make this stuff up. There are people who have there's a border problem. Seriously. 
There's other problems, seriously. And they're gonna waste people's time and talk about let's ban glue traps to get rats because it's inhumane. This is not a Christian nation. This is a nation that's lost its moorings a long time ago. There's no Bible basis for everything on a major scale. Well, it is reflective of the fact that you can say you're Christian, but your behavior says otherwise. So a Christian is someone who is number one saved. A Christian is someone who is trying to walk as Jesus walked. So let me hammer on that a little bit here, okay? Now, folks, you and I can profess to, to be a Christian because we're religious or because we uh, are decent, because we are anti-abortion, because we're for life, because we're anti-woke, all these kind of good things. But that does not make you a Christian. Now, you might be saved, and you could be against those things or for certain good things, and that's good, but that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is what you practice, what you do. It's not just the, the title Christian. They were first called Christians in Antioch. There was a reason for that. It's because of the lifestyle. They weren't so-called Christian. They actually were Christians. The daily lives were conformed to the life of Christ. And they were submissive to the word of God. And their works proved that they were Christians. Their works proved that they were Christians. Um, works. Christian. I need to just emphasize once again. It is not works to make a Christian. I remember I was out knocking on doors with Tim many years ago when he was able to. We, we were knocking on doors on a Saturday morning. And then there were two Jehovah's Witness girls that were on the other side of the street. So uh, they were leaving stuff at the door when no one was there. And we were on the other side of them. So I walked over with Tim. And um, of course I knew who they were. You can tell between a Mormon and a Jehovah's Witness. But they both go door to door. Uh, and they both have Bible study to do all this kind of common thing. And so one girl said to me, oh, she saw us past leaving tracks on the door. She said, oh, she said, oh, I'm glad you're out here. We're both doing the same thing. How would I reply to that? We're both doing the same thing. I said, no, we're not doing the same thing. Uh, we're just knocking on doors like you, but we don't have the same message. Your message is one of good works and faith your message is not the gospel we are giving the gospel this white man and me we're giving up the gospel you folks are not and they looked at me like oh you're so rude was that rude oh you're so mean they wanted me to say oh yeah that's not good god bless you we do what you i could not say god bless you to do that mom said don't bid god speak to those who are heretics so there's no good news in what you're saying in your message to earn salvation by works. Our message is a good news one where sinners can be saved. We're different. We're doing the same thing. We're not doing the same message. It's all wrong what you're doing. And so being honest in transactions or business, being, being a good guy all around. Look, there's nothing wrong with that. We need more people like that. You realize how nowadays people are so mean and so nasty to one another, strangers even. You notice that? People go by and break people's car windows just to grab something that they see. People do all kinds of, they steal from your porch, a UPS, an Amazon delivery box. They'll do that just because they want to and they can. People like that all, it's so common. People are not nice anymore or civil anymore or respectful anymore of people's property. Graffiti really burns me up. Now you might think today, man, this guy's always mad about something because today I said something's burned me up. Now I'm saying that burns me up. It does. 
to disrespect personal property or public property just to graffiti the thing with a spray can of paint, that really burns me out. It costs money to, to erase that stuff. It costs money to, when you deface and spray paint somebody's personal wall around your property, and people just don't have respect anymore. Uh, not a Christian nation. Uh, does a Christian do these things? No. If a Christian does this thing, shame on that Christian for doing stuff like that. But wait a minute. A Christian, I'm telling you, is someone who practices the faith and not just talk about it. A survey, uh, Pew Research Survey, again, in 2021, 45% of respondents said they pray daily, down from 58% in 2007. So, at one time, 58% said they pray every day, now it's down to 45%. Watch this one now, I'm not into statistics, but 32% say they pray weekly or monthly. Well, congratulations, you pray weekly, you pray monthly, congratulations, pat you on the back, you just star. You pray weekly and monthly. Oh, good for you. You're a real Christian. 22%, they pray seldom or never. Yet they say they're Christians. They might be saved, but they don't pray. How do you figure this out? A Christian is someone who is saved, and that saved person is actually trying to practice what the Bible says. How about that? Are you a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who's saved. A Christian is somebody who is practicing what the Bible says. So there is the practical, the rudiments, the basics of the Christian life. There is practical praying. How could you not pray about something? There's so much to pray about. How could you go a day without praying about something? Pray in your mind, pray in your head, pray as you're driving, pray as you're pray, sit down and pray, stand up and pray, kneel down and pray. People are praying all the time if they're trying to follow Christ. What about other things on the Christian life that we should be doing to say that we are Christians? Can you name a few things you've been doing besides praying? That's basic praying. Anything else? Well, what does the New Testament say about what is a Christian? Many other things. So I'll leave it up to you to find out what they are because that's your job. I'm just trying to prime the pump a little bit here to figure out yourself what you should be doing to prove that you are a Christian. Do you ever pray to be a testimony, a witness for someone? Do you think that way? You know what a real Christian does? A real Christian hopes to open his mouth for Jesus Christ. Amen. A real Christian hopes to have a chance to say something about Christ. Really. Right. Now let me tell you this. Let me be blunt with you. Every real saved person wants another person to get saved. Right. I mean, if you're really saved, you know all that you have in Christ. And you say, oh boy, I wish I could tell someone else about that. That is a good thought. But it's just a thought. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, you find a desire to see someone else get saved. You know what Paul said about the Jews? Oh, I wish I could be a curse for my kinsmen, my people, the Jew. I wish I could be, he says, I wish I could be damned. And if I could be damned, and by me getting damned, they get saved, I would do that. He's a Christian. He wants others to get saved. Let me tell you this. If you, if, if you have a friend who is praying for you to get saved and is talking about getting saved and they're bothering you about getting saved, stop and think, man, that's a real friend. <laughs> that's a real friend. He wants me to get saved. I don't understand it right now. I don't like what he's talking to me. He's a pain in the neck. But I can appreciate his sincerity for me to get saved too. That's a good friend. Now, do you ever pray for an opportunity for people to hear you out? 
You should look for opportunities like that in your life. Maybe if you pray for opportunities, God might open up a door for you to talk to somebody about Christ. You know, I do the Uber thing, uh, little bit each week, and uh, it was an experiment, but now I do like it because I see it as an opportunity to open my little mouth about Jesus Christ here and there. So I also have tracks with me in the car. And as I'm talking to people, I'm kind of careful, you know, I don't want to be rude and all that kind of thing, but I do give my track every once in a while when I feel like I can. And sometimes we talk to some people. One guy said uh, he came to Kapilani from Kauai because his 12-year-old son has a serious medical condition, and so he comes back and forth. Talk about that. I, I say, look, we're about to get a place to pick, pick up your son. Let me pray for you. Is that okay? He says, oh, please, please, please. I was picking him up from Kapilani back to his hotel on Nohonani Street, and so he gave him a track. Oh, thank you so much. Like that. I said, look, call me anytime. What is all this about? Asking God for opportunities to open my big fat mouth and talk about Jesus Christ because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. Other times people talk about, oh, I got a gambling problem. Why are you talking about your gambling addiction? I didn't ask you about that. And they just talk about things like that. And I'm thinking, this is a good thing. God, thank you so much for letting me be the driver of this addict, addict to, to, to uh, gambling. And, uh, we, you know, so do you ever pray for God to open up doors for you to talk about Christ? A real Christian does that. You ever pray about a lot of things? You ever, you ever try to say, Lord, what can I do to help my church? What can I do to help the kingdom of God to grow? What can I do, Lord, to... You see, you ever talk like that? That's what a Christian does. Lord, how can I influence people for Jesus Christ? What can I do today to do that? I don't know. I don't know. I just go to work, come home, I go home. Do you not think that you could be a testimony for your coworkers in some way without, without preaching to them, so-called? Is it possible to be a testament for Christ without having to say, come here, hey, 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 look at it, come here, look at, it, look at this verse. <laughs> now, folks, I don't want you to do that. A lot of times you can't do that. Even at the lunch room, you can't do that. I understand that. But, folks, people in all stratas of life, they got problems. They got concerns to keep it to themselves. And as you talk with them, it, they open up, maybe. And if they like you, if they respect you, if they think you're a man of integrity and character, they might even open up to you and tell you about their problems. And if they do that, you've got a chance to give them the gospel. Perhaps slowly, yes, but there's a chance for that. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, don't just be saved. Don't just be saved. Be a Christian. Be a Christian. Don't just be saved. Well, you know, uh, stop talking like that to yourself. Tell yourself, I'm saved. I know I'm going when I die. I'm a Christian. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with Christ. I'm going to walk as he walked. And in my life today, I hope I have a chance, Lord, to talk to somebody or tell somebody or give somebody. I hope I have a chance. That's what a Christian is. You want others to know Christ as Savior as well. Now look, I know your personalities. I know your personalities. You're like this. That's how most people are in our church and in Hawaii. We don't want to rock the boat, we say. You know, we pay a lot of taxes. We continue to pay a lot of taxes. It's because we don't say anything. We don't want to rock the boat and be known as troublemakers. I'm not saying be a troublemaker, all right? I'm not saying be a troublemaker. I'm saying a Christian wants other people to come to Christ. How is that going to happen? By you being a secret Christian? That could simply mean 
you don't have the courage to be identified as a Christian. You're afraid of people say about you. I understand that. But if that fear is so powerful that you won't speak up for Christ, you won't pray for an opportunity to talk about Christ, then you have a you have an issue that you need to overcome. I mean, really. I'll just keep it to myself. Francis, I was walking under this coconut tree and I saw a bump under the coconut tree and I thought, that's very unusual. So I dug it up with my pocket shovel. And I dug and I found a treasure chest, Francis. Yes, it was only about that big, but it was a treasure. Open, I, I, I open up, guess what I found in there? I found silver coins, 25 of them. There's a note that says there's more. If you found this treasure chest, pass it on to somebody else. You know what I did? I called you, because I want you to get it too. Because I want you to share in this too, so I'm gonna tell you about that. What if I didn't do that? What if I kept it to myself? What if the note says, if you pass it on to somebody else, I will give you double this that you found. Well, motivation, but here's what I'm saying. I found something that was good for me. I want someone else to know about that. There's a story in the Old Testament about some famine that took place because of um, the Syrians. And these four, four lepers was walking around, starving to death. And they thought that the army was here in this town and so on. But they said, they said man, we're so hungry. Oh, what are we going to do? If we go into this town, if they're there, they're going to kill us. Well, if we don't go and see, we'll die here anyway of starvation. So they said, let's take a chance and go into that town and see. So they walked to this town and they didn't hear any noise. They saw smoke coming from fireplaces or uh, things like that. From And they looked around. Nobody was there. And they found all this food there. They found all this food and they were feasting. And they ate until they couldn't eat anymore. And then one of them said, ay, yeah, yeah. You know that commercial about I could have had a V8 or I could have had a, a Yahoo or Toyota or something like that? Could have had something like that. And so they said, what are we doing, guys? Here we are feasting all this food, and our folks don't even know about this. We should go and tell them. We should go and tell them. They were saying, we found food. We better go tell other people are starving. We're going to find the food too. You know what the saying is for the Christian about being saved? We found bread. We found bread. We want to get someone else to find the same bread too so they can eat too and get filled too. That's the whole idea. Now, folks, I just want to tell you today that uh, a Christian is somebody who is saved. A Christian is somebody who is trying to walk with God each day. They're identified as Christians because there's marks of a Christian in their life. They don't talk like the world talks. Their values are different from the world's values. Their appetite spiritually is different from the world's values. Uh, can I can I reel on one more thing that I'm done? Is that okay? Yeah. Are y'all in a hurry? That's kind of too bad. <laughs> train's not going to leave until you get there no one's going to say oh it's going to say this the world's values are not our values because we're Christian uh, I like sports but I don't watch the Super Bowl highlights or the uh, sorry the Super Bowl halftime show you know what the halftime show is all about I'm sorry folks I, this is why I don't watch things live because I can't control what I'm going to see I can't control what the grandkids see I don't want the grandkids to see the filth that comes across the TV screen when it's live. But at least, at least if there's a, a recording of some kind, you can fast forward stuff like that, you know. 
but there's too much garbage on TV, especially halftime shows of the Super Bowl. It is one big, it is one big, how can I sit in church that's not? Yeah, it, it is wicked, and it is just, debauchery is not strong enough. The best word would be wicked. It's just wickedness. The stuff that goes on in the name of entertainment is like, it's not fit for human consumption. Really, it's not. It is degrading. It is, it, it, it wears down your, your sense of what is holy. It, it desensitizes you to accept that more and more and more. And it just wears it down. And a Christian says, man, I'm not going to watch that. There's a lot of things I don't enjoy doing because of the, the different things associated with that activity. It is not Christian. And I, I cannot, look, I don't drink, I love chocolate milk, you know. But I can't drink milk that smells a little funny. I can say to myself, well, it smells a little bit funny, but most of it's pretty good. I'm going to get sick. You ever eat bad rice? Rice that's been on the counter too long. Humidity has got to it. And you look at the thing, you see something crawling in there. And you smell it. You can tell when rice has gone, been on the counter too long. One sniff and you know. Just like with milk, you, know, you can tell. Good food that's out too long is not good for you. But most of it's good for you. Go ahead and consume it. It's going to be making you feel bad. So I'm saying as an example that some things, your value system is different if you want to walk with Christ. If you're a Christian, some things are not acceptable because your values are different. It's not that you're better than anybody else. It's not that you're more holy than someone else. People accuse you and say, well, you're holy than thou. I'm not trying to be. I'm any closer to God, though. I know you don't care about that, but I do. So you say to the criticism, look, whatever you think, I'm going to do something that honors God with my life. So no more of that, no more of that, no more of that. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Great moments and bad timing. What is a Christian? Well, y'all don't know by now. Now y'all to be living it and trying to live it. Now look at me, please. I'm gonna I'm done. I'm done. You need to make up your mind what you're going to be from now on. If you're saved, you can never be taken from that. You can never lose that. But that doesn't mean you're a Christian in practice. Make up your mind to live as a saved man ought to live. First John talks about walk as he walked, live as he lived. All right? Live as he lived. That's the only way to live the Christian life with fulfillment and purpose. Everything else is pretty much vain walk as he walked when how about right now how about today how about tonight how about tomorrow morning how about one day at a time I will tell you this and I'm done you'll never be sorry you'll never be sorry that you did I had an old preacher say not long ago he's down in his 90s he says if I knew I'd live this long I would have taken better care of myself in his 90s. Think about the profound statement. If I knew I lived this long, I would have taken better care of myself. It's kind of got a double meaning to it. To live that long, he must have taken care of himself. But if he had taken care of himself better, he would have lived longer, perhaps, or he would live longer. 
And the idea is this, when you get to the place where you know you can't do what you want to do because of health and every kind of other thing, you would wish that you would live for Christ, be a Christian longer or sooner. Don't wait until the time when you cannot do and live like you want to because your health is gone, everything else like that, all right? What is a Christian? Someone who walks with God. Not too difficult, pretty much straightforward, pretty much plain and simple. Do it, do it. Don't waste your time with other things that don't matter at all. Do it. What is a Christian? I would be blessed so much if somebody says, hey, you know so-and-so? I'm really done. You know so-and-so? I said, yeah. I saw so-and-so. I said, you did? Oh yeah, where'd you see so-and-so? I saw so-and-so down here by, and um, he was helping somebody or doing something good. That'd be a blessing to me. The other day, I saw Stan at Alamoana. I was dropping off somebody, and I had time off to went for a walk. You know, you can walk two miles around Alamoana Mall, back around like that, up and down. It really adds up. Walk by all these expensive stores and say, nah, 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 nah. I'm not shopping here. And um, I saw Stan. Stan didn't see me. He was standing like this. He had his phone in his hand. He had, in his pocket. He had a long sleeve shirt, pants on this time, because he always wears shorts. It was cold that day. Remember that cold day? He was doing something. Downstairs, ground floor, uh, by a particular store. He was in the parking lot, just beating against the wall like that. And I saw Stan. He didn't see me. I walked by, I said, that's Stan. I was gonna call him, I said, no, I just watch him. I mean, everybody else is watching him. Everybody else is watching you and me. I just watch him. I watched Dad. Instead of just doing something like that, you know, looking at something like that. And he wouldn't do anything wrong. He's just standing there. And I got tired of watching him because he wouldn't do anything exciting. He wasn't smoking weed. <laughs> he wasn't beating up somebody, you know. I saw a cop uh, bring down a, a, a criminal. He walked behind him. He did this. And the guy just fell like that on his head, on his back, and handcuffed him real quick. He wasn't doing anything like that. He was just buying his own business on his day off, had time off. And uh, I was just watching him. You know what God is doing? <laughs> you never guess what God is doing. Just like that man in John 5, where he came to him, who was lame from his, from his, from 30, for 30 years, he was paralyzed. And when he came to this man, the Bible says in John 5, that he knew all about him. And how long he was lame. He knew all about that man. <clears throat> Before he met him, at the first meeting, John describes what Jesus knew about that man. You know what, you know what God sees? You know what God is doing? He's watching. He's watching you standing by the street corner. or at the, You understand the point. Why not, why not say, now if Stan saw me, he would go, oh, hey, hey, pastor. No, he would say, pastor. He doesn't say pastor, he says, pastor, pastor, pastor. I've been called pasture. That's pasture ching. Pasture. Oh, hey, pastor. Now, I, I'm pretty sure, since I know, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have to duck or hide or, you know, oh, like that. He would never do anything like that because he's got character. And I hope that you and I will understand we're saved. If we're saved, we belong to God. We need to be Christian in our behavior, in our, our life every day. Christian. 
Got to be Christian. Okay? Oh, by the way, I need to say this. Then I'm really done. I was talking about the man who got healed in the pool. You know what it was that healed him? The moving of the water and the angel. You know what it was that really did the trick? I gave you some guesses that people have guessed about. And today, uh, Arp told me something that was kind of different. You know what the real miracle was that healed the man of his being paralyzed? You know what it was? You ready for this? The essential oils. <laughs> Don't get mad. Don't look at me with, how dare you say that? I sell essential oils. I buy, we've used essential oils, but it sure hasn't healed my baldness. <laughs> Let's pray. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible. Help us to see through the silliness sometimes I get into and see the seriousness of the truth that we need to be Christians. We say people need to be Christian in our living. Help us to do the right things. Not once a year, every quarter, but every day. Simply, day by day, live for Jesus Christ. Draw closer to Him. Make that our passion. Make it our goal. Help us, Father, to realize that important relationship with You. Bless them for doing it. And challenge them to not quit. Every day, a Christian in living. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.